Selamat early Merdeka. Uh, you want to do early Merdeka? Early Merdeka. Okay. Uh, today, today is the Sunday before Merdeka, and so we we call it National Sunday, lah. Uh, and so as we, as we observe it and we're reminded of our nation's independence coming up, we want to remember that our identity as citizens of Malaysia and citizens of heaven is not separate. Okay? They overlap. We are one and the same person. We are citizens of Malaysia or residents, if you're not a citizen. Uh, but we are also citizens of the kingdom. One person. And so we'll invite you to turn to your right. Tell your neighbor, I am a citizen of Malaysia. Now turn to your left. Tell your neighbor, I'm a citizen of heaven. Amen. Don't worry, those who are not Malaysian, you are still a citizen of heaven. Okay, come, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you. Uh, for so many reasons, but Lord, one of the reasons is that you have sent uh, your son Jesus in the form of flesh uh, to walk among us and also to show us what your word is like lived out. And so, Father, we pray that your living word uh, would be made clear to us that even as we look at scripture, Lord, would you unpack for us all the truths that you desire for us today. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are continuing with the book of Matthew today. Uh, our, our, for those who are visiting, we are going through a series. Uh, so we are going through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, we saw how Jesus was tempted and he was uh, proved ready for his ministry, primarily by his dependence on Scripture. Before that, we saw how John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. So what is all this preparation for? What was this uh, preparing the way and going into the wilderness and being tested and proven and prepared? What was it for? It was to prepare Jesus to begin his public ministry of preaching, teaching, healing, and you know, all the stuff that's recorded in the Gospels. All things that would bring the kingdom of God near the people in the form of the king himself, because Jesus is literally walking among them, uh, but also, as well as insight into what living in his kingdom looks like. And so as Jesus goes around proclaiming the message of the kingdom, he says in most of his teachings, the kingdom of God is like this. Okay? The kingdom of heaven, Sama, uh, is like this. And so he is showing people what it is like to live under God's authority in his kingdom. Now, today we'll be looking at one of the things that happened near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and that is how Jesus called his disciples. I just realized I don't have the clicker. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, one of the things we have to keep in mind whenever we look into uh, any of the four Gospels is the fact that there are four. Okay, it's not that there are just uh, four duplicates. Okay, each gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each gospel is written by a different writer with a different emphasis, sometimes from a different perspective. And some of these authors have um, some recorded in a more chronological order. Okay, this is the sequence of events. Some recorded more according to theme, 
according to genre, according to uh, whatever that, that context is or the message you're trying to drive across. And so with all these differences, sometimes there seems to be differences in how the events of Jesus' life are described as well. And so if you've read through the four Gospels, at first glance, you might think, eh, takngam lah, contradiction, right? One must be right, one must be wrong. Cannot both be right, ma. Uh, but when we study a little more, we discover that actually there's usually an explanation for these differences, okay? Other than the fact that sometimes the gospel writers are doing, you know, trying to place emphasis on different things and then they're, they're not so, uh, how do you say, they're, they're not so obsessive about the details as Luke, you know, that kind of thing. But they, when, we, when we study all the Gospels further, we find that individually they come together to paint a, a more complete picture. So today as we look at how Jesus called his first disciples, I'm not just going to focus on the Matthew passage, just that small bit. Uh, we're going to keep in mind the events of the other Gospels to have a more complete picture of this calling of the disciples. Uh, we won't look at all the passages related to the calling of the first disciples. If you want, you can you know, go back and read up on it because it will take it's quite a bit to read through, but I'll just summarize the events for you. Firstly, Jesus prepares for his ministry, right? He's baptized. He's tested in the wilderness, as we saw in previous weeks. Then, next stage is some events of John's gospel come in, okay? So, Near the end of the first chapter of Gospel of John, uh, you can, if you want to follow along, you can turn to your Bibles, John chapter 1. Nah. Okay, John chapter 1, verse 35. So here around John chapter 1, verse 35, Andrew is following John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not the John who wrote the Gospel, eh? okay, just in case you, you are confused. So, up to this point, if you remember, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. And so, Andrew is following John the Baptist. He's one of his followers, his disciples. And so, John the Baptist sees Jesus, and basically he says to his disciples, uh, to, to those who are following him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. If this happened in Penang, maybe he, he would say something like, Okay, those of you who don't understand very bad Hokkien, don't worry, you're not missing anything. Uh. But anyway, Andrew hears John the Baptist and he, he follows Jesus to spend the day with him, together with John the son of Zebedee. So there's another John here, okay, the son of Zebedee. This John is the one who wrote the Gospel of John, okay, son of Zebedee. So after that, Andrew goes to his brother, Simon, and he tells him, we have found the Messiah. I'm not going to do that in Hokkien. Uh, we found the Messiah. And he brings Simon to Jesus. Jesus then leaves them in Bethany. He goes to Philip in Galilee, and Philip happens to be from the same city as Andrew and Peter. So they actually uh, saw know each other. Jesus then calls Philip to follow him. Philip goes to find Nathaniel and tells him, 
Same thing. They have found the one who has been prophesied about in Scripture. Come and see. And Nathaniel goes to see Jesus. Okay, so those are the events of pretty much the, the first meeting of Jesus with these disciples in John chapter 1, verse 35 onwards. Then the events recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke probably happened around the same time. In Matthew chapter 4, which is today's passage, and Mark chapter 1, they're almost identical. Okay, so it's almost word for word identical, Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, about the calling of the disciples. And they both talk about how Jesus meets Peter and Andrew in the Sea of Galilee. And so if you remember, they have already met Jesus in John chapter 1. Okay, this is not the first time that they have met Jesus. But Luke chapter 5 records more detail of this day. Okay, and so Luke chapter 5 talks about, uh, you know, that story of the miraculous catch of fish. Jesus gets into Jesus, uh, sorry, Jesus gets into Peter's boat. Andrew is probably there. He's just not mentioned because uh, he's not important to the story at that point. Uh, and Jesus tells Peter, let down the nets, okay, to catch. Peter says, all night we fish, cannot catch anything, but because you say so, I will do lah. And so the result is miraculous catch. Filled the nets to, to the point of breaking. And then James and John. Now remember, John had already met Jesus earlier with Andrew. Uh, James and John are also Peter's companions, and they are there to witness this as well. Uh, around that time, or maybe sometime later in the day, uh, Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to follow him to be fishers of men. So this is the events of Matthew chapter 4. Lah. And then Jesus calls James and John, and they too leave their father, uh, Zebedee, in order to follow Jesus. Okay, so I, I hope I've painted a clear enough picture of how the disciples were called, at least in a, a, a more clear chronological order for us to picture what happened. They had met Jesus earlier, they had witnessed his miracles, and now they were being called to follow him, to be fishers of men. So even though we are only going through the, the Gospel of Matthew uh, in our sermon series, and it's only one part of their early encounter with Jesus that's recorded. Keep in mind, all the other accounts, okay, this, all the other events of Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 5, John chapter 1, uh, I'll be referring to them. Now, the big idea for our message today, if you forget everything, this is the one thing to remember, this is the one thing to take photo, okay? Uh, we are brought to Jesus to answer his call of discipleship and to bring others to him. Okay? We are brought to Jesus to answer his call of discipleship and to bring others to him. So that's the pattern of how Jesus called the disciples. The disciples are first brought to Jesus by the testimony of John the Baptist, and he calls them to leave their former life to be his disciples, to live with him, and learn from him so that they can continue to bring others to him. So let's look at these three things. Firstly, God used others to bring us to Jesus. God uses others to bring us 
to Jesus. Now, how many of you here, show of hands, how many of you here uh, are here today because you decided to one day just randomly walk into a church? Nobody told you. Nobody brought you. You just decided to walk into a church. Okay? God, God. Yes, it, it happens. Huh? One of my good friends who's also a track pastor, he just one day driving by a church and then he's like, I want to go to church. <laughs> Random, okay? Non-Christian. Huh? So it does happen. But uh, there, there is the exception. That is the exception, right? That uh, there are some of us who are drawn by uh, God directly, okay? Maybe there's a, a sense, a, a vision, special sequence of events. But the general pattern, if you saw, uh, the ma- vast majority of us, the general pattern, by and large, is that God uses others to draw us to Him because God wants to involve His people in His work. And God used John the Baptist to bring Andrew and John, the son of Zebedee, to Jesus. God used Andrew to bring Peter to Jesus. God used Philip to bring Nathaniel to Jesus. Further down the Gospels, God used a Samaritan woman to bring others to Jesus. Further down still, God uses Peter again to bring 3,000 to Jesus in the book of Acts, if you remember. And so, while God in His mercy and grace has called us to follow Him, He often uses others to bring us to a place where we can hear and respond to His call. Even those who set foot uh, randomly just come to church, uh, uh, still somebody shares with us the gospel message so that we can hear and answer the call of Jesus. And so God uses others to bring us to Him so that we can hear and answer His call. And I think that's something to be grateful for. Uh, Having a a thankful heart, having an attitude of gratitude is not something that we hear of enough. Uh, Giving thanks in all circumstances, always giving thanks and for everything, this is a biblical command, a biblical... uh, It's not an option, okay? It's a command... Uh, that is in so many parts of the Bible. We're constantly exhorted and commanded to give thanks, to be thankful. So be thankful. Be thankful for God using others to bring His message to you. Uh, Everyone who brought each of us to Jesus was sent by God. God is the initiator. Okay, so he is responsible. He's always the starting point. Whether uh, he, he brought us through friends, family, neighbor, colleague, whatever, God used them to bring us to Jesus. And we thank God that they were able to do this in our nation, Malaysia. Uh, if you're not aware, in many countries, freely sharing the gospel is illegal, uh, punishable by imprisonment or death. Okay, so we thank God for the religious freedom promised by the federal constitution in our nation or we would not be so easily brought to Him. And so thank God, praise God for how He works, uh, maybe in a roundabout way, maybe in unusual ways, maybe sometimes even in uncomfortable ways, but thank God for making the first move and sending somebody to bring us or we would still be living life without Jesus oblivious to the truth. So while we thank God first and foremost, 
we also need to appreciate those involved in bringing us to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thanked or even acknowledged the person who brought you to Jesus. Uh, I, I'm not talking about the pastor who baptizes you. Uh, no, I mean the person who, who brought you to uh, coming to hear about Jesus in the first place. Uh, for me, so just to quickly share my story, several people were involved in bringing me to Jesus, uh, as in really coming to faith in Jesus, lah, not pretend, pretend, just by name one. Okay? Uh, my sister, who is now the pastor of Trinity Methodist Church, Pataling Jaya, <laughs> uh, she signed me up for an MYF camp, the camp that I decided to follow Jesus. So that's one person involved. A few people from that church, Kale Wesley, uh, ran the workshop that shared the gospel through the activities. And I remember as I went through all the activities, not just fun, fun, one, uh, each one was like, oh, this is truth, oh, this is true, oh, this is true. And also Pastor Yunyan Song, I think he was uh, our pastor here also for a period of time. He was the camp speaker at that camp, right? And he challenged us to embrace uh, Jesus, to hear and answer the call of Jesus. And so these were three different groups of people who were instrumental uh, in bringing me to Jesus. So while making disciples is about the message and not the messenger, the glory goes to God, not to man, the Bible does tell us to encourage and build one another up. And I... I can think of no greater affirmation or encouragement than to tell someone about how God has used them, uh, whether unknowingly or even unintentionally, to save a soul for His kingdom. Most people don't believe that they would ever be able to contribute to you know, uh, saving a soul for God. And so I, I, I want to challenge you to, to say a short prayer of thanksgiving to God for this person or these persons who were involved in bringing you to, to Jesus. Uh, and if you can still get in touch with them later after the service, I want you to consider giving them a call, uh, send them a text, write them a letter. You know, if you still see them in person, tap them on the shoulder, say a word of thanks. Tell them how they were part of your soul-saving process. I think that would be a great encouragement to them. So firstly, we are brought by others to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus himself calls us. Being brought to Jesus is not the end. The call to follow Jesus comes from Jesus himself. And so when others bring us to Jesus, what happens after that is more than just referral or recommendation. The, the disciples didn't follow Jesus because the ones who brought him uh, told them, eh, go, follow him. And then they just quite, quite follow. Uh, we see that in Matthew chapter 4 and, and Mark chapter 1, Jesus himself comes to Andrew and Peter, later James and John, and he tells them very, very clearly, come, follow me. But before they answered this call to follow, there was already this personal encounter with Jesus. As we saw in John chapter 1, Andrew and John, the son of Zebedee, they are... Initially, they're curious. They're following Jesus from behind. No interaction with him. Then he turns around. He sees them following and he asks, what do you want? And Jesus, in searching for their motives, he engaged them. And so being brought to Jesus turned into a personal encounter for them. 
So we all come to Jesus for different reasons. Some of us come with the right motives, some for the wrong motives. But the point where we say, yes, I want to give my life to Him and follow Him, that happens after that personal encounter with Jesus. And so all those who were baptized, all those uh, of us who have been baptized and confirmed in our faith, that is after that personal encounter with Jesus. And so these two disciples answered Jesus' question of what do you want with, where are you staying? And they wanted to find out more. They wanted to remain in his company. They wanted to prolong the relationship. And then Jesus replies with a personal invitation, come and see. And so their response, they went, they saw, and with that personal encounter with Jesus, later when he calls them, they, they are ready to drop everything. They're ready to just follow him as his apprentices, okay, his disciples. And so we may have come to Jesus for a whole bunch of reasons. Better life, more meaning or purpose in life, assurance of worth and value, acceptance, healing, breakthrough. Maybe we came because got pretty girl, we want to cow. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe even because we wanted to marry somebody else who was a Christian and we were not. You know, we, we may come to Jesus for all sorts of reasons, but whatever it may be, what keeps us following Him is the relationship that follows the encounter. And so this is not something we must miss out or take for granted because following Jesus becomes incredibly difficult when God starts pruning you and disciplining you to mature your faith as he starts moving you away from spiritual milk to solid food, uh, when following Jesus becomes less about what Jesus can do for you and more about who Jesus is to you, it's not always so easy. And so we need to remain in that ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. One more thing I want to highlight about Jesus' call. Uh, when Andrew first brought Peter to Jesus in John chapter 1, He's initially named Simon, okay? But when Simon meets Jesus, Jesus tells him, now you've got a new name, okay? Uh, Cephas, or the, it's Aramaic, uh, uh, is Kephas, I think, uh, which is Aramaic for the word rock. In Greek, the, the name is Petros, or Peter in English. So, if you're ever confused and you see in the Bible, why got this fellow Simon, uh, Simon Barjona, uh, Simon son of John, uh, Simon Peter, uh, Cephas, uh, Peter, uh, all the same lang. Okay, it's the same guy. They're all the same person. But why did Jesus give Peter a new name? Now, when a person is given a new name in the Bible, it marks a significant turning point in their life when they're given a new identity and they're given a new purpose in life. And so Peter, as we will see in the Gospels, he's a very emotional, a very impulsive person. But Jesus saw the potential that he had to be the person whom Jesus would call him to be. Rock, firm, unshakable faith. Uh, in the book of Acts onwards, he is that rock. Now, in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, uh, Andrew and Peter left their nets and followed Jesus. 
And so they also go through this identity change and change in their purpose in life. They're introduced as fishermen. And here they, they leave their tools of the trade behind. So they're not just leaving behind their livelihood. They are swapping out their identity. They're swapping out their purpose in life for a new one. From fishing for fish to fishing for lung people. Right? And so, okay, I'll stop the Hokkien. And so for James and John, uh, they, they didn't just leave their boat, they didn't just leave their nets and their fishing gear, they also left their father, Zebedee. Uh, it feels like a very funny picture to me. Like, okay, uh, father, you, you take care of yourself. Okay, bye. Uh, it, it doesn't mean uh, that you abandon your elderly parents to fend for themselves if they're dependent on you. Uh, Zebedee was not a frail, homebound senior citizen. Uh, they were quite young at that point. He was probably, you know, uh, one of the younger father age. Okay? But when, when they left their father to go and follow Jesus, it meant that they had a new relationship with Jesus that took priority over their previous relationships. And so answering the call to be a disciple of Jesus means becoming a new person with a relationship with Jesus taking top priority, as well as having new purpose, new mission in life. Uh, we just had some baptisms, and the symbolism of being immersed with water is not just about you know, washing away sin, it's also about the dying of the old self and rising again as a new person with a new identity. And with that new identity, comes this new mission and purpose of being not just a disciple, but also a maker of other disciples. Somebody who brings others to Jesus. And so we who were brought by others to Jesus now become the bringer of others to Jesus. And so that's why the disciples, Jesus called them, follow me, I will make you or I will send you to be fishers of men. And the great commission to make disciples is given to all, all who follow Jesus. Because out of that personal relationship with Jesus, we would desire the same for others. And so for John the Baptist, for Andrew, for Philip, for Peter, Jesus was someone extraordinary. He was someone incredible. He was someone exciting. He was the Lamb of God. He was the Messiah. He was the one written about by prophets and, and Moses, someone with insight into their life, somebody who could provide miraculously. He was someone that they wanted others to know. And so they speak with excitement and conviction when they testify about Him. It's almost like they are tugging on their hand, telling them, look, Look, I, I know this guy. You will want to know him as well. And so, the next example is like, <laughs> you, you, you meet someone from out of town and you say, Ha, huh, you only eaten kwetiau goreng from school canteen. Ah. You never tried Penang cha kwetiau before. Ah. Oh, I don't know what you're missing. Oh. You don't believe me. Ah. Never mind, I, I bring you go. Must try for yourself. Okay, so all the Penang people say Amen, right? Ah. Yeah, you, you cannot fathom that 
somebody has not tried something that you know is so amazing and you want to share it with others. And so the, the end goal of bringing others to Jesus uh, because you, is because you want them to have what you have experienced, to have that personal relationship with Him. Not that we remain their proxy and like constantly uh, come, 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 but you want them to experience Jesus like how you have experienced Jesus. And so it may start out like they, they may come to you and they say, you know, please say a prayer for me or my family member. Or they ask you, why is your God like this or like that? Uh, and so you may be the one who will introduce them to Christianity. They interact with Christianity and the Christian faith through you. But what we want is to eventually get them to shake hands with Jesus, to meet Him for themselves and start getting to know Him for themselves. So... Uh, you may not have all the answers for the questions your friends or your families may have about God. You may not have the solutions for all their problems, but God does. And so we want to bring them to a point where they can come and see for themselves. And so we need to be a convincing witness. We need to be a convincing testimony, just like John the Baptist and Andrew and Philip and everyone else, you need to meet this Jesus. Not, uh, my pastor tell me, I have to tell you about this guy. Uh, actually, not so important one. <laughs> Is I have experienced this Jesus. You need to experience him as well. And then once you introduce, you let Jesus take over. Let them encounter him personally to hear and answer his call. So, how do we translate this into practical terms? I, I know it's easy to talk about, okay, we should, we should. But how do we do this practically? Firstly, step one, we need to be convinced for ourselves that Jesus is worth bringing others to. If we ourselves are not convicted that Jesus is worth bringing others to, that Jesus is worth knowing, we are never going to be able to bring anyone to Him with conviction. And so this is an area of personal experience and conviction, and that comes out of a personal relationship with Jesus. So if you are struggling in this area, you are disturbed. You're saying, I'm supposed to have that kind of passion and love for Jesus. I don't seem to see it in my life. That's okay. That's good. It means you are now aware. Work on it. Do something about it. Do everything you can to develop it. Things like Bible studies, regular quiet times, spiritual retreats, small group meetings, whatever it may be that might bring you closer to God. Work on your relationship with God. None of these programs, none of these activities guarantee relationship with God. I must be clear. Huh? Just because you go to a Bible study doesn't mean that automatically you've got relationship with God. Uh, especially if you're doing it for the sake of doing it. But these different things where we share our faith and where we discover who God is, uh, they present opportunities to develop or encourage your personal relationship with God. Opportunities where we can grow closer to Him. And God promises us that when we seek Him, we will find Him. So really, that's the first step. If you feel like you don't have that personal conviction that Jesus is worth knowing, 
Seek Him. You will find Him. Seek Him in every opportunity. Put, to put it another way, doing none of these things, ignoring all opportunities to develop your relationship with God, almost guarantees that it won't go anywhere. Right? And so having, cutting off all opportunities in your life, whether it's coming for service or whether it's joining a small group, cutting all those opportunities of growing closer to God out of your life uh, almost guarantees that your relationship with God will not grow deeper. And so that's the first, our personal relationship with Jesus. We need to be convinced that He's worth introducing to others. Secondly, using the same principle, create opportunities to bring others to Jesus, to have the seed of the gospel planted. Remember, it is not your job to convert. It is your job to kaisu, to introduce, so that they can come and see for themselves. In Malaysia, with our different cultures and races, these opportunities can be very diverse. They can range from, you know, maybe uh, gathering your family to give thanks. Uh, my in-laws, are they in-laws? My wife's family, yes, they are in-laws. Uh, my in-laws gather uh, for Chinese New Year, right? And so they will have their, like, their New Year makan thing. They all come together, all the family come together. And though not all are Christians, in fact, initially it was only a minority who were Christians, they had the courage to ask, come, can we pray for all of us? Uh, can, can, can we pray together and thank God for His blessings? You know, Chinese New Year. Huh? Uh, so now this has become a, a, an annual thing that they expect. The non-Christian will say, hey, want to makan already? Pray, faster pray. <laughs> right? And they remind when, when they, they haven't started praying yet. And so, uh, it, it can be something like that, you know, giving thanks at a, a reunion dinner. Uh, it can be talking about how God has been real in your life over lunch break at work. Uh, it can be praying for your neighbor and their loved ones uh, when they're in hospital, you know, or, or introducing them to Alpha or a small group, that's the usual churchy ones, huh? But these are all different opportunities to introduce, bring people to Jesus. There's no guarantee that the seed that is planted will bear fruit, right? But creating no opportunities for the seed of the gospel to be planted almost guarantees that you won't be the one bringing them to Jesus. And so in conclusion, we are brought to Jesus to answer his call of discipleship and to bring others to him. This is the general pattern for all who follow Jesus. I'd like you to also be thankful for how we are brought to Jesus. Later, go thank someone responsible for investing in your spiritual life and do bring others to know Jesus for themselves. Create every opportunity to be a fisher of men. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, some reflection and discussion questions for us to discuss in our families or small groups. Uh, number one, who was responsible for bringing you to Jesus? Have you thanked God for them before? Okay, number two, how has your relationship with Jesus developed since He first called you? And number three, what are some opportunities you can create to either be more convinced, convicted that Jesus is worth bringing others to, 
or uh, some opportunities you can create to bring others to Jesus. Okay, I leave these questions with you to reflect and to discuss. Now we continue with our order of reception into membership. Confirmation and reception into membership. 